Good morning. All right, all right. Welcome to church, everybody. All us Floridians, we braved this inclement weather and came to the house of God. Give your neighbor a round of applause. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. It's good to have you. Listen, if you chose to stay home and do church online, that's okay, too. We are super excited that you decided to connect with us in one way or another. Give it up, everybody, for those who are tuning in online. It's good to have you. If we've never met, my name is Josh. I have the privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at Church on the Rock. Uh, and we are in a, in a message series that we are calling Gifts for the King. And so we've been unpacking some scripture about Christmas and talking a little bit about some of the Christmas story. And we're looking into the reality that sometimes the Christmas story at first glance or maybe in celebration we see like all the happiness and the joy and the celebration of Christmas. And listen, by the way, we should. We should see all that. It, the season is bright. Isn't that right, everybody? And so we should celebrate the birth of Christ. But we've been digging a little bit deeper into the reality that this story had a lot of darkness in it. There was a lot of conflict going on. There was, there was some adversity coming against the birth of the king. And so what I want to do this morning is get right into the third installment. I want to take us right to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the same verses that we read last week, and it's going to set us up as we head into today's topic. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. If you're ready, say ready. Here we go. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been, and I love this part, born king of the Jews. I'm going to pause right there and just, I, I want to emphasize that they were not looking for someone who would become the king, who would grow up to be king. They were looking for the one who was born king. And I just think that that's important for us to know who Christ Jesus is. Amen, everybody? So, uh, uh, so they said, where is the one who was born king? For his, We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And verse 3, when Herod heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is, uh, lost my place, where is the Christ, can I just start over at verse 4? Here we go. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Thank you. I did it. Thank you. Uh, verse 5. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. So there's this prophecy about this coming Messiah, and they quote it from, uh, by, by the prophet, prophet, and they say, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned all the wise men secretly and ascertained of them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. And this is what we're talking about, gifts for the king. And they offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to the, 
to their own country by another way. Okay, there it is, the Christmas story. And at first glance, when we read and we look at this, we see, man, Jesus was born, and the wise men, they came, and they worshiped him, and they offered him these gifts. But what we're unpacking is like the darkness and the, the, the conflict that's going on here that Herod had this uh, sort of superiority complex, perhaps. And Herod was in really concerned that, like, is this guy going to be the one that takes my throne? He just wanted to remain in charge and in control and in power. And so when he hears about this, he inquires of these wise men, come here, come here, when, like, when did this star appear? And he starts putting together these pieces of a puzzle, and he's trying to figure out, like, where is this prophesied Messiah, how old is he, how long has he been here, and he's trying to put it all together. He says to these wise men, hey, when you figure out where he is, go find him. When you figure out where he is, come back and tell me, because I want to worship him too, which was a lie. I just, want to, I just want to worship him too. Really what he wanted to do was kill him so that he could remain king. And then the wise men, being wise men, they hear from the Lord, they follow, they pursue, they offer these gifts, and in part one of this series, we looked at their gift of worship. The first thing they did, the Bible says, is they bowed down and they just worshiped him. And we talked about that two Sundays ago. And then last week, we talked about the first gift that they presented was this gift of gold, and we really got specific about that. We actually talked about gold being our first and being our best, but we specifically talked about like our act- actually our money. And some of you guys are like, I wasn't here last week, and you're thinking, thank God, and that's okay, that's fine, that's cool. But listen, the Bible has a lot to say about our first and our best. The Bible has a lot to say about our money and everything about the life of the believer should pursue the Lord. Everything, including our bank accounts, wallets, spending, etc. So we looked at that gift of of gold last week. And today we're going to tunnel down into this gift of, of frankincense. This was the second gift that was presented to the king and presented to the king in this time of turmoil and conflict. And here's why I keep bringing up a little bit of the, the dark side. It's not to bring like gloom to the season. I don't want to do that. But what I do want to do is I want to unpack the reality of what was actually going on in the story. And it was a pretty intense moment. It was a pretty intense season because Jesus's life from the very beginning was at risk. But there's this wise man in the story and there's a Herod in the story. And what we've been unpacking is that inside of all of us is a wise man and a Herod. And Herod's always going to be the one that opposes everything that's godly and everything that God would want for us. Herod, the Herod inside of us, and let me just clarify, like that fallen self, that old sinful nature that lingers around, the reality of us being carnal and living in this world and having desires that aren't fit for the kingdom and all the things that come and oppose the life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's what I'm calling Herod. Are you with me? And so inside of us all is the reality that there's like a Herod inside of us that is opposing the godly rule and reign in our own lives because really our carnality, our flesh, our own desire wants to rule. It wants to reign. But inside the life of every single follower of Jesus is that wise person. And the wise person pursues the king. And the wise person worships the king. And the wise person gives gold to the king. The wise person gives frankincense to the king. And the wise person gives myrrh to the king. This is what wise people, Christ followers, do. So we're going to talk about this frankincense just a little bit. And the frankincense, I believe, is, is equal to our pursuit of the Lord, like pursuing God. In the Old Testament, there was a different way that we had to approach God. And so now we have all these luxuries and benefits of just being able to come straight, boldly to the throne of grace. We're going to talk about that here in just a few moments. 
But prior to Christ dying on the cross and actually being the propitiation of our sin, actually, actually like, like carrying the weight and doing the work for us to have the opportunity to step into a relationship with God because of his sacrifice for us, prior to that, there was a barrier between God and man, and that barrier was our sinful nature. But God still wanted people to pursue him because he's worth pursuing. Say amen if you believe that. And God said, I still want to be near my people, and I still want to be close to them, and I still want you to pursue me. So in the Old Testament, they would, they would set up a church, and they would do this every single week. And some of you guys that serve on our serve team are like, are we in the Old Testament? Because every week at Church on the Rock, we set up church, and then we take down church. But in the Old Testament, they would set up a temp, like a tabernacle, a temple, and it was, it was a tent, and they would, they would orchestrate and place everything perfectly, and when people would come in there to seek the Father, there was like a method in which they had to go about pursuing him. And one of the things that was inside that, that temple was this place right before there were a couple of rooms in there. And anyway, I'm not getting lost, okay, because some of you guys know all the details. I'm not, I'm not going like, like granular into the details. We're going to stay on the surface level a little bit. But one of the things before you went into what was called the Holy of Holies, which is like the back room, this would have been the room where the presence of God would rest in this room. There was a table there, and on this table was incense that would constantly burn. And the smoke from the incense, not only would it put a beautiful smelling aroma into the room, which was pretty important because they were butchering animals just that way, right? Like, I mean, there's like blood and butchers and knives and all kind of stuff going on because there's sacrifices and burning flesh. And so I would imagine that this incense was kind of a nice thing. When you got nearer to the presence of the Lord, you started to smell something that smelled good. And the smoke from this incense would just constantly rise toward the Father. And this was a representation of our worship. This was a representation of our prayer. This was to be a, a representation of our pursuit of the Lord, that it should constantly rise before the Lord as a sweet-smelling aroma to him. And one of the things that was likely in that incense was frankincense, and it would put off a particular smell. It was also used in medicinal purposes for certain things, and it has all kinds of benefits, but likely frankincense would have been in that temple. It would have been one of the things burning on that table as the smell and the smoke offering going up to the Lord as a representation of God's people constantly lifting their eyes Lifting their prayer, lifting their praise, lifting their worship, exalting him on high. And I think it goes without saying that if we're followers of Christ Jesus, that's what we should be doing all the time. Isn't that right? And so we should pursue the Father. And let me just give you like credit today. You came to church. You're tuning in online. However you're receiving this content or connected with us, you, this is an effort of pursuing the Father. So you woke up this morning with purpose, and you said, hey, I'm, I'm going to get ready, and I'm going to brave the treacherous drizzle, <laughs> and I'm going to drive there, and I'm going to walk through that parking lot, and I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to sit down. But this is an effort for you to pursue the Lord, and this is important, right? It, I think, like probably more than a lot of people, that church matters, and it matters a lot. I don't think it's just a thing. I think it's one of the most essential things, actually. And it isn't because you need a good attendance record. It isn't because, well, you need to sing at least three songs every week and hear a little sermon. It's, no, it's because, it's because God calls us to be connected to each other. In fact, let me say it like this, especially if you're online and you're distant. Listen, God will never call you to do anything alone. It's just not how he does it. Everything that God calls people to do, he always calls people to do together because we're better together. Amen. 
And so part of, part of our pursuit would be something like going to church. Part of our pursuit might be going to our life group, which we do around here, which are just small groups of people that gather together and they just help each other grow in Christ. Part of our pursuit might be serving on a team, which so many of you do so amazingly and selflessly, particularly those that are out in that rain today and serving outside. I mean, just amazing. I appreciate you guys so much. I mean, part of our serve might, or part of our pursuit it might be our prayer time. It might be our time in God's word. It might be um, our time, you know, in worship in our cars and our homes or whatever. And all those things are good. And I think that's kind of like I probably hit the list of like, hey, good Christians do A, B, C. Are you with me? All right, since we're in the Christmas season um, and you're thinking of the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Home Alone, it would be like one, B, and D. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, only some of you will get that. But watch it on Christmas Eve. It'll be awesome. Those things matter. All of those things do matter. But the idea of the, of the gift of frankincense is that it's perpetual. It's all the time. Like it happens constantly. It happens when I'm in the office. It happens when I'm at home. It happens when I'm asleep. And you're like, how is that even possible? It ha- just, it's, it's a constant sacrifice, a gift before the Lord that, God, you are always at the forefront of my mind, my thoughts, my pursuit, my life is centered around you and I want my life to reflect my worship of you always. But here's the problem, life. How many of you guys live life? Just raise your hands. If you're online, raise your hand, I'll see it. You just, like, you live life. You live real life. You live life like, like the dishwasher stops working. That happens. And you're like, man, what the heck? You know, I don't even know how to do it with my hands. What is this? You, you, live, you live life like, like, why is this light still red? I've been here for like 90 seconds. What is going on here? You live that kind of life. You live a life where you, where you really want your kids to do this stuff, and they just do that stuff. And you're just like, whose child are you? Did you grow up here? What is your problem? Come on, I'm talking about real life. Did, like, okay. You probably live in a life where like it's busy and it's chaotic and there's expectation and there's pressures everywhere and there's stuff to do. And sometimes you wonder, I don't know how I'm supposed to do all the things that I'm supposed to do and the things that I want to do. And the, it's, man, life is difficult. And what tends to happen because we live in this life is that the pressures and the realities of the world around us will, will, will put a simmer on our gift of frankincense, our pursuit of the Lord. I'm going to give you a little example from Scripture. In fact, I'm going to take us back to the same text that we were reading in our last uh, sermon series we called The Blueprint. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 16 here for just a moment. Just want to show you a little example of how sometimes things can just get a little off, just a little off. Check this out. We'll read verses 21 through 23. The, The Bible says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be, watch this, killed and on the third day raised to life again. So this is the purpose in which Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, for like this purpose right here. And he's telling his disciples, I'm about to go and do this thing, and it's not awesome. Okay, it's gonna be pretty awful, in fact. And he starts to unpack, and he starts to tell them in detail and specificity that like this is what I'm going to do. I want you to notice that Peter, his buddy, he took him aside, and he began to rebuke him, which which is an interesting word. He began to be like, Bro, this is a bad idea. 
Okay, I don't know what the rebuke looked like. I don't know if he got onto him like a parent, like I told you that you don't do that. I don't know if it was like that, or I don't know if it was just like, bro, what are you talking about, man? I love you so much. Like, I don't know, but they were tight. Jesus and Peter were tight. And Peter loved this guy very, very much. And I just want you to imagine someone that you care about deeply talking about something terrible happening to them. You would be like, what? Like, stop it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to imagine it. I don't want it to become a reality. Like, cut that out. Come on, wouldn't you? I know that I would. And so I just, I kind of resonate a little bit with Peter, who's more like a friend, I think, being like, Jesus, bro, like, what are you talking about? This is not cool. Come on, man, I'll pull my sword out, and we'll just go get him. Ride or die, baby, let's fight. Come on, right? Like, your, your good friends will pick you up from jail. You know what I'm talking about? But, like, your best of friends, they'll turn their head and be like, that was crazy, and hope that somebody else gets y'all from jail. Don't go to jail. That's a terrible thing for me to say in a recorded setting that lives online forever. Sorry, world. Um, so Peter pulls him aside, the Bible says, and he began to rebuke him, and he's like, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And I just want you to recognize the response of Christ here. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, which sounds really harsh, but I don't think he was, I don't think he was being derogatory toward Peter. I think he knows Peter's heart. The Bible says man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at our heart. Jesus could see the heart of Peter. I would imagine that Jesus, full of compassion, understands, like, bro, you love me, and I appreciate that. But what Jesus is keenly aware of, and it's a great thing for us to learn and hone in on, is that he's always thinking of what's going on in the spiritual realm. And what he knows is that there is a spirit behind Peter that is trying to prevent him not to go do the very thing that he was born for. So he's not speaking directly. He's not saying, like, Peter, you're Satan. He's saying, Peter, you're not, like, I'm speaking to the Satan that's influencing these thoughts. And so he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. And I want you, can we just slow down a minute? I know that you're, like, overachievers and you're trying to read ahead, but can we just slow down a minute? Jesus is like, you're a stumbling block to me. And I just want to read into this a little bit, right? And if you disagree with this, this is, this is fine, okay? The, the gospel and the Bible's here. This is just Josh for a second. So if you don't like it, throw it out. But it almost makes me wonder, is Jesus like, yeah, maybe this shouldn't happen to me? The Bible says that he was tempted in all ways. In fact, we know that he, that he kneeled his, bowed his knee in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he asked the Father, is there any other way? Like, can this not happen? Can we save the people and me not have to do this? I mean, he was, so, so I actually believe that his good friend Peter, who's like, bro, this should never happen to you, man. Let's go get them. Let's just go kick in their doors. We got this. I just wonder if Jesus was like, yeah, yeah, maybe we could find another way because Jesus knows the power that he has access to. But I want you to notice what he says. I really want you to pay attention to the highlighted words on the screen. He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely, and I'd like to emphasize that word, human concerns. Merely human concerns. Meaning only. Like merely is, is like very narrow. And he says, hey man, you're not thinking right. Th this is not good for me. And this is not good for you. Because the only thing you're thinking about is human concerns. And I want to unpack this a little bit because I think that Jesus is more compassionate often than we give him credit for. I really do. And I know some of you guys are like, what, that sounds crazy. But I think that in our own hearts and our own lives, that the way that we would look at ourselves and judge ourselves, sometimes we're super, super harsh. Like, because, because we know what we're really thinking 
We know the real intentions of our heart. And so when we get off course or when we, and we do something foolish or when we return back to something that we don't want to ever do again or whatever it might be, when we know that we've like stepped out of God's perfect place for us, I think that internally there's this inner voice that is saying to us, oh, you've done it now. And he's angry now. And there's punishment for you now. And I, and I don't think that we fully comprehend the grace, the love, and the compassion of our loving father that always welcomes his children home. I'm probably getting ahead of myself because we're going there. But what I want you to recognize is that Jesus says, hey, man, this is not good because you're only thinking about human concerns. And I believe that Jesus is like, it's okay to think about human concerns. In fact, I think the next scripture we're going to read is going to prove that. We just can't only think, merely think about human concerns because human concerns matter. If you're married today, your spouse is important. And, and they should get your focus and your intention, your intention and your pursuit. If you have children, they matter. And they should get your focus and your pursuit. If you have a job, you should go to it. And when you get there, you should work hard. It matters. Okay? If you have a kitchen, you should clean it. Like, I'm, like all this stuff matters. Are you with me? <clears throat> I don't think Jesus is like, don't do that stuff. I think what he's saying is keep everything in mind all the time. Because there's more going on than just this world around us. And if we only think and feel and respond to just this world that's going on around us, you're going to miss it. I don't think Peter was missing it by far but he was missing it. And I just think that there are times in our lives where the cares of life drown out the pursuit of the Father. And every single time that that happens, the gift that we offer the king of frankincense, it's like it gets snuffed out and it's not rising perpetually to him. I just thought about this because I love, one of my favorite things to say uh, to you, to our church, is that like I'm just a normal guy. And there are some people, they push back on that. They're like, you're not a normal guy. You're a pastor. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a normal guy. I just have this title pastor. And I'm going like, to delineate the difference, okay? And this is something I just believe to my core, that being a pastor makes me better than nobody. I don't care what you do, who you are, how you were born, what your titles are. Like, nobody's better than anybody, period. Now, as followers of Jesus, God does mark our lives and give us callings that we are responsible and accountable to respond to. So I lead as a pastor. Does that make sense? But, but it makes me better than nobody. And so when I preach, okay, I like to preach in, in the context that like I'm a very normal person, which means like I get angry, I get sad, I, I'm happy sometimes. Sometimes life, the real world, like it, it swarms in and around on me too. And there are times that my pursuit, I know that some people think like, you're just so holy. I just wish that I just love God. And it's like, you probably do love God like I do. Okay, I want you to imagine for a moment that you see me every week at my best. Like this is the best of me right here, right? And so if this is your only image of me, wait till Thursday. You know what I'm saying? This is probably not this awesome. Okay, are you with me? All right. I don't know if everybody's tracking. The point is that I just like people to understand they're like the most holy people in your, you know, quote, air quote there, in your, in your life. Like, they're everyday normal people. The thing that you probably admire about them is their gift to the king of frankincense. It's their pursuit. It's, you go, I want to pursue like that. 
I want results like that. That comes from pursuit. And I'm just here to tell you that as, even as a pastor, that it's easy for the issues of life to surround and crowd and snuff out my gift of frankincense to my king. The silliest things will do it, the silliest things. Laziness will do it. I'll sleep too long. Or instead of spending time in prayer, I'll just, I'll just watch something on YouTube or whatever it may be. Instead of studying God's word, I'll just read the verse of the day. And well, I got the word in me. And I'll make little excuses sometimes that aren't the real genuine pursuit of the king who deserves from me my first and my best. And there are times that he doesn't get my first or my best. I've, I've, I've probably said stuff like this to you at nausea. So if you're a part of our church, please forgive me. But I've, always, I've, I've often talked about like my passion for hunting and how if I'm not careful, I have to govern that passion. I am an all-in thinker. I'm just 100%, like 10 toes down type of a dude. And so when it comes hunting season, I can get lost in the pursuit of it all. And if I'm not careful, something as foolish as a deer can take my first and my best. It can become what gets the frankincense offering of my life, and that does not cut it, everybody. I can just be honest with you that, like, my, my wife, so I've been married for... Um, a long time, 20, almost 22 years. Um, we've been together, that would mean almost 24 years. And I am like super, super, super overwhelmingly blessed because I feel like I have amazing people around me all the time. I mean, my parents are great. My mom's one of the godliest, greatest people on earth. My grandfather is just like a stud in the kingdom of God. I mean, just like a champion for the kingdom. I've got friends that I think are like real, ride or die into me, not what I do or how I perform friends. Like they actually love who I am. And I mean, I'm just blessed by God. But that girl is number one, okay? Period. Love that girl like nothing else, okay? And I have to temper the pursuit in my heart of her because there are times that she becomes my first and my best. She is who I'm pursuing most. And I have to temper that back and say, hey, man, you should love your wife, right? And I hope and pray that I'm a good example of a husband to people, but not over God. That's a problem. I'll go, I'll go a layer deeper. And this is going to sound a little crazy to some of you. Because I know that some of you think like, oh man, because like I'm a professional Christian. I get paid to do this. Okay, think about that for a second. All right? And I know, and I, know I know, some of you guys are like, man, I don't like, what does he do all week? Just like pray and study, just meditate with the Lord. You know what I mean? And everybody on the staff is laughing because we work our tails off. I'm telling you right now. But, but I'm telling you right now that again, I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy that like drive is not a problem. I'm driven. I wake up every day with something to do. I love to achieve. I like to conquer. I like trophies. I like to be able to look back and be like, I did that. <laughs> I do. And that can be dangerous. And as silly as this sounds, that there are times that my actual pursuit of ministry can take my first and my best. And there are times that I'll pursue ministry more than the Father. It's, it's like this. I'll get so focused on the work of God, I forget about the God of the work. That's a real issue. It's the most dangerous place probably to be because I can fake it. You wouldn't know. 
I just look like the pastor that preaches on Sunday, but like, are you actually pursuing the Lord? Or are you just doing ministry? Do you see how even the, even the best of things, if we are not careful, like, like Jesus' really good friend, he's like, bro, you're only thinking merely about this flesh, and not that that's bad, but you can't merely have that as your concern. It's gotta be both. So there's this old bumper sticker. Maybe you saw it. I haven't seen one in a long time, but I thought they were awesome. Uh, let's bring them back. Come on, maybe Church on the Rock brings them back, but it says this, wise men still seek him. I love that. Now, I, would, I would see it on like trucks, you know what I mean? That's like a good sticker for a truck. Men, er, all right, but people, we, wise people. All right, you got it. It's a play on words, okay? So it's not a sexist thing. Don't get, go, come on, relax, okay? It's not like that. But wise men do seek him. They offered the king their frankincense, their best. Man, my, my worship, my prayer, my pursuit, Lord God, is you. And it is you always. It is you on a Sunday. It is you on a Tuesday. It is you in the morning. It is you in the evening. I've got to make sure, Father, that you are who I'm pursuing above all things, regardless of what I'm doing, regardless of who I'm with, regardless of what's going on. Father, you are the king, and I should give you my best. I should give you this frankincense, and it should constantly and perpetually lift as a sacrifice before you. The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. We're almost done. I'm going to give you hope, everybody. Matthew 6, 33. Jesus said these words. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you as well. Now let's just leave, it, leave that up there, Rob, for a second. I want you to see something. Or Jamie, thank you, who's back there serving. I want, you, I want you to see something. That Jesus said, I want you to seek first the kingdom. As if to say there's other things worth seeking. Can I, can, I just, can I just put a little confidence in you? Like your drive and passion for your career is not a bad pursuit. Go for it. I think that's awesome. I think Jesus is like, rock on, do it. Cool, man. Your, your drive and your passion for your hobbies and whatever it might be. Man, one day I just want a vacation home. Look, go for it. Pursue that. Man, I'm, I, I'm going out on the boat this weekend. Rock on, that's so cool, man. Go fishing, enjoy whatever you do. You know, pull somebody behind it on a, on a tube or something. Like, that's great. That's great. Some of you guys can't wait to get the new Mac. Man, like, I just, man, I can't wait. I'm gonna get that big screen and I'm gonna have all the, I, I don't know. I'm, now I'm talking about something I don't really know. I'm just trying to connect to everybody, okay? <laughs> that stuff is okay. Some of you are single and you're like, I just, man, I, I want to be married, and, and you're pursuing that. I think that's perfectly fine. And I think that Jesus is like, yes, go. So he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then the other things, they come. Is that making sense? So here's what we have to do. I, I think if, if we kind of look at this Matthew 16 story and we compare it to the Matthew 2 story, the, the, the wise man is pursuing the king and offering him frankincense. And Herod is trying to oppose that king. That reality exists on the inside of us. There's all of us, you don't have to say amen here, it's cool. Like all of us have a dark like spot or side or sort of things. And there is real true, let's just call it, let's just call it what it is. There are real true sinful, evil things that we think about or do or participate in, whatever. And Herod, opposing the king. And that's a thing, that's real. But then, there, then, then there's like the Peter thing. 
Where it's like, man, I wasn't trying not to like pursue the Lord. I just got distracted. Like I wasn't far off, but I was off, you know? As I always say, you've probably heard me say this a lot of times, like we never drift in the right direction. Never. You never were like, oh my gosh, I lost weight. Never, you didn't do that. Didn't happen. You're like, oh dang, you know? Some of you guys are like, hey, I set a goal to lose 10 pounds this year. And the good news is I only have 20 to go, right? Like it happens. If you want healthy relationships, you pursue those relationships. You have to put effort into those things. If, like right now, a lot of you are pursuing like gifts. You're like, think about the context of a gift. You have people that you're, you're gonna buy for and you're gonna give them something. That takes attention. The gift isn't just gonna be there under the tree. You gotta, you gotta think about what it is and figure out if it's in your budget, amen, come on. And, and then you gotta go to the place or Amazon or whatever and you gotta get it and then you gotta wrap it. My, my, do you see, what I'm, you see what I'm doing here? I'm trying to compare simple things to like real, like the issues of our real lives because our real lives matter. And especially in the Christmas season, man, if we're not careful, especially in the chaos of like families coming into town or you're traveling or, man, we're gonna be off a few days because my office is cool, but I gotta get work, I gotta get five days done in two. Like that, whatever it might be, or you're, you work for yourself and so you're trying to figure, like, I, I gotta make sure that like the taxes are right and everything's done and I gotta buy something or the government's gonna get it. Come on, let's go, what can we get? Like, you get it, okay? And if we're not careful, just the issues of life will just, will just get us to not have the gift of frankincense constantly elevating before the Lord. But I'm gonna make a turn right here as we close, okay? Because I think it would be easy. Again, I think most people, most people are hardest on themselves. Now, those of you that aren't hardest on you, you should work on that. I love you, you should work on that, okay? Here's something that I like to tell people that I, that I love deeply, okay, like my kids some of my teammates, whatever. It's just something, it's just a practice of mine, okay? And I, and I think it's healthy. I say, I think you should always assume the best about others and the worst of you, always. So I always assume the best about you and I always assume the worst about me. I honestly think if you do that, you'll win with people. I just think you will. And so when we look at ourselves, most of us are hardest on ourselves because we do, you, some of you are like, I didn't even know I did that, but you do. Again, because you know, you know what's really going on. And any time that I think we get off, like if we've ever had that moment that whatever it might've looked like in your story, and you'll know it, but whatever it might've looked like in your story when, when Jesus was like, get behind me, Satan. And you're like, oh man, I like I blew it or whatever. I think that there, there is this thing that starts to happen on the inside of us and shame will start to turn our eyes away from our heavenly father. It's not, I think it's natural, like it's a thing. And by the way, it's a very deceptive trick of the enemy who would say, how dare you call yourself a Christian? You lead the such and such team, <gasps> whatever. And he's, and he's just whispering into your ear, how awful, terrible, and blah, blah, all this stuff, right? And here's, and here's what that trick does, is if the Father is in this direction, we go, oh, man, I can't, like, I, oh, yeah, what a, oh, my, and we'll t it, it turns, shame turns us like this away from the Father. But can, can, I just, can I just end this thing with some hope today? We're, we're gonna read two verses, and then we're gonna respond this morning with some worship. We're gonna respond with time of prayer, 
But I'm gonna read to you two verses, and the first one is Isaiah chapter 55. A few verses, because this, you, you get it. Six through seven, let's read. Look what the Bible says. Seek the Lord. That's the frankincense offering to the king. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Look what the Bible says. Hear this. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. Watch, watch. Why? That he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he, look what our God does, everybody, will abundantly pardon. Look at that. Turn, like, turn to him with your gift of frankincense. Seek the Lord. And when we do, he will have compassion on us. And the Bible says that he will abundantly pardon. Now your haters might not, but your heavenly father will abundantly pardon you. And then the last verse, Hebrews chapter four, this verse is so amazing, everybody. This verse connects perfectly to the poem that Eileen read during worship this morning. Like this, like this is like a match. It's, it's, oh, it's beautiful. Here's what the Bible says. The word of God, the true living, breathing word of God is speaking this to you right now. So then, since we have a great high priest who entered heaven, and remember for a second we talked about that Old Testament temple and the incense. You know who would get the, the frankincense goat? The high priest. He was the mediator between the people and God. And he was like this holy guy. It would be like, God, what's up? I'm here to represent the people. Cool, love you. And then he'd go to the people like, you guys, y'all... Y'all aren't that great, but cool. We're gonna do our best. Hey, God, will you forgive us? Great, thing. like it was like this thing, okay? I know that sounds a little silly, forgive me. But Jesus became our great high priest. He became the mediator between you and me and God himself. This is like, can I say something that's really bold? And like, this is a hill I'll die on right here. This is why Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. This is why Jesus is the centerpiece of civilization. This is why all other religions have missed the mark because there is no other way to God other than Jesus and Jesus alone because he is the great high priest and he is the bridge. That is him, okay? And I'm not trying to take shots. I'm trying to give truth. And the truth is Jesus. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody comes to my Father except through me. That's Christ Jesus. He is who he says he is. Amen, everybody. And so this great high priest, Jesus, who was born in a manger, lived as a man, died on a cross, went into a tomb, conquered death, hell, and the grave, was resurrected on the third day, showed himself to all of his followers to begin the ecclesia, the church as we know it today, ascended up into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says, praying for you, that high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Look what the Bible says. Let us hold firmly. Let us offer our frankincense gift to the king. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. And I love it. Here it is, this punchline of the day. This high priest of ours understands 
our weakness. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Look at it. Here it is. You ready? So let us come how? Boldly to the throne of our gracious God, boldly, not full of shame, not sheepishly, not embarrassed, not disgusted with ourselves. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. What a promise. What a reality. That because of Jesus, the great high priest, and what he did for us, we have the opportunity to bring frankincense to the king perpetually, lifting a pursuit to the Father because God, you deserve my worship, my prayer, my praise, my pursuit. It is yours, even with all that goes on in the life around me and even with the things that you are allowing me to do and achieve and to conquer. But I will constantly let this aroma lift to you because you are who I seek first. And when I blow it and when I become Peter and when I go to the dark spot of my life and when I mess it up or whatever it is, I will return boldly to your throne. Because your word gives me promises that there I will receive your mercy. And there I will find grace to help me when I need it the most. Would you stand with me all across the auditorium? We're about to close. And here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, I do this every single Sunday myself or any other communicator in our church. Every single Sunday, this is what we do. We give you the opportunity to step into a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we do that every single Sunday. And some of you might be like, yeah, I already did that. Awesome. Great. Hang with me. But maybe you're here today. Maybe you're in the room or tuning in online and maybe you've never made that decision. I would love to just communicate directly to you everything I said moments ago about that hill that I'm willing to die on about who Jesus is. He is who he says that he is. And maybe you've never understood that he's the bridge between you and your hopelessness, and him and his fullness, that's Christ Jesus. And maybe today the spirit of the living God has been knocking on the door of your heart, and the Bible says that if you hear him knocking and you open that door, that he just comes in and he just has a relationship with you. It's what he wants. And so if that's you, I would love to invite you into a personal relationship with Jesus. It will be the greatest decision you've ever made. I guarantee it. I promise you that. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around all across this auditorium, we're just going to go into a moment of response prayer. And this might be a prayer that you're saying for the very first time. It may be a prayer you're just saying again. Like, God, I just need to reconnect. That's okay. But I want to ask everybody in the church to say it with me because maybe you're saying it today for the first time. And if you are, this is our way of supporting you in it. Man, we want you to say this prayer. And we want to encourage you in this prayer. So here it is. I want you to repeat these words. I want you to say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. All of it. Come into my heart. Forgive me my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. All that I am is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Come on, let's give a round of applause and a congratulations if you made that confession today.